Who's ready for the Word of God? Let's jump in. Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 6. I am in chapter 6 today, but I want to go ahead and make sure you understand what's been happening prior to this. Because if you've been here the last two, I just laughed because it is November. I know I've lived here a long time, but I'm still not accustomed to snow in November. And I just looked outside. I love that we have this in our worship center, though, God's creation coming through. Um, I don't think anybody who's been here the last two weeks would be like, you know what? Pastor has been so encouraging. I told you the last couple of weeks have been an exhorter's paradise. But today we have some glimmer of hope. Praise God. But I want to make sure you understand what's been happening. When you go to Hebrews chapter 5, especially for those who have not been here. Hebrews chapter 5, we're just walking through all this. A couple of weeks ago, we're going through the last four or five verses of Hebrews chapter 5, and it's a warning of apostasy. The warnings of apostasy. Apostasy is a stepping away from or an abandoning of a previously stated religion or belief. So these are people who have claimed a certain faith. Maybe some of you have been in that situation. You've claimed a particular faith, but then you step away from it, and you're like, nope, don't want it. That's hard. Then what we come to is last week is like, hey, listen, um, to go along with those warnings of apostasy, you need to also, therefore, you need to leave the elementary doctrine of your faith. It's good. It's not saying that the elementary doctrine is bad. It's like, listen, you get what it is to, to repent from dead works and have faith toward God. Verse 2 of chapter 6, to, you, you get the washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of Christ and the eternal judgment that's to come. That's all wonderful. And those are good things, but you're not supposed to stop there. You're supposed to keep growing. And there's so many people that say, hey, I came to know Christ, and now I'm good, and we just want to live life that way. In verse 4, it says, it's impossible in the case who have once been enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift, who've shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the word, the power of the ages to come, and then they fall away to restore them again to repentance, not possible. But then we also go to places like Revelation, where five of the letters to the seven churches state, hey, repent from these things, even those who have fallen away. But it's this these are convicting messages of saying, wait a second, do we have a genuine belief and faith in Christ? Because many can profess something, but they actually don't believe in. Many can even came, claim that they believe in, but actually not have faith and trust in those would be called the demons. Even the demons believe and they shudder. But they don't trust in God. So do we trust in God and the way that we're walking through life, the way you're making decisions about your future, the way that you're investing in relationships? Do you trust God in that? And so these have been the messages that we've had. And also when we look at this, it is overall, and if you would, I'm going to jump to the second slide right now. Um, I'll come back to the scripture in a second. Here's an overall theme of what we see in Hebrews chapter 5 and 6. Hebrews 5 and 6, what it does is this. Here it comes. Boom. See, it's coming. Hebrews 5 and 6 focuses on maturity. So this is what it's really doing. It's focusing on the maturity of the believer, never being complacent with the gift of eternal life. As a whole, there's a lot of details to it. That's why I've spent so many weeks on it. As a whole, there's obviously more details, but as a whole, this is what it means. 
Are you maturing? Are you groaning, uh, uh, growing? Or are, are you stepping in? Are there warnings of apostasy? Have you, have you grown with the elementary doctrine, but you've never continued to grow? And if so, you're in danger. Because then, as we ended last week, verse 7 and 8 says this. Chapter 6. Hey, if you're not continuing to grow, if you're not moving beyond the elementary doctrine of the basics of faith, then you're like a field, and it's not producing the fruit of the Spirit. It's bearing thorns and thistles. And the appropriate response to that is to burn it so that you can better prepare the soil for the next go-round. Wow. So now we come to the next portion of Scripture. So will you stand for the reading of the Word of God? You know how it's going to work. I'm going to leave some blanks in there. I'll be calling it out. You'll know when. You can throw those words because this is my way of making sure that you follow me. Though we speak in this way, I mentioned it last week, but I have to come back to this verse because all the scripture, there's not done in blocks, even chapter and verse. We know that was added, Council of Nicaea, 350, right? Just to help us find it. It's all woven together. It's a big, beautiful tapestry, the entire word of God, all 66 books. Amen? So though we speak in this way, Yet in your case, beloved, we feel short of. Yeah, do both words there. We feel short of. Already good news. Already good news. In your case, beloved, we feel short of better things. Things that belong to. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work. And and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have this full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. It's the word of God. You may be seated. So here, we have all these warning signs, right? We've talked about lots of, of cannonballs going over the bow of the ship. He's firing, the author is like, hey, you need to be careful. Guys, warnings of apostasy. You've claimed one thing, but you got these people stepping away because honestly, the world around them, what are they doing? These are people, the majority of these are Christian believers who gave their life to Christ. But, but when they were just practicing the Jewish law, it wasn't as offensive to people. But following Christ became offensive to people. And because it became offensive to people, because it became a cultural problem, a cultural issue, they were being asked to stop with the whole Jesus thing. And so he's offering warnings and he's giving them these, uh, this opportunity to go, wait a second, not only are there warnings of apostasy, but there's also these elementary doctrines of faith. Nobody's moving beyond them. When we're challenged by that, and he's like, you've got to live by faith. You've got to live in that constant transformation. Transformation is a continual process for as long as you may live. As long as you have your, your heart beating, you just keep growing and being transformed. And it's about having faith in Christ. It's not about works, but we know that faith without works, James 2.14, faith without works is dead. James 2.14. So again, it's by faith that we're saved, amen? But it's the works that demonstrate the depth of our faith in Christ, that we're willing to live according to his truth, his word, his promises. 
and not according to our will and our desires and the conveniences that the world desires. And we're like, whoa. That's, that's significant for us to draw from. And so now we get to examine how we're living so that we can, we can bear fruit, not thorns and thistles. Hebrews chapter 6, 8 and 9, or rather 7 and 8 from last week. And so now there's some hope that's stepping into the picture because the author, it's as though he has some confidence now. He has some assurance because what he's witnessing, what he's observing is, are, are things that are of Christ. So he's like, oh, like I know I'm giving these warnings and you've got to have the warnings. And I know that I'm, I'm letting you know this, this, and this. You've got to be careful about the elementary doctrine and not moving beyond it. But what I'm seeing in your life, yes, beloved. I love, I love that he says beloved, beloved. Ones who, whom I love, like this is good. I'm sure of better things for you in salvation. Now only you can determine if you are in this. But this passage, I, I love it. Because what it's going to do is it gives us some measurables. Do you ever feel like that? Especially in the preaching in the church today. We speak so broadly, but we never know what the actual measurables are. I mean, it's not our job though, right? We don't want to judge people and determine what their faith is. That's not our job. That's up to the Heavenly Father and that's it. But sometimes it's nice to have some measurables to know if you're winning or losing. We've already won through the blood of Jesus. I get all that, but don't you want to know, God, am I doing this well? <laughs> Anybody want to know that? I, I, am I doing this right? There's some hope here because he's just going to tell us, hey, guys, there are better things to come to you in salvation because I'm witnessing who you are. This is good stuff. And I can honestly say in what I'm about to preach, I see happening here. Like literally, when we're giving things out for us to champion together to serve in the community, it's now a regular thing for us to run out of people to support. Wow, that's amazing. And so he has this confidence. Encouraging words after a serious warning. Now, let me say this as well. We need, this is something I lead by. This is, this is common language here on staff at Chapel Point, if you ever work here. Um, is we are called to both sharpen and encourage. That's what this text does. It sharpens and encourages. We need both in life. Nothing is sharpened unless it rubs against something harder than itself. So we need that sharpening so that we can yield the sword of the spirit, his word, so that we can live that life. We need to be sharpened. We need to be better. That's hard. That's why we also say mature leaders invite accountability because we know that's a hard thing. So we want to invite it. How can I do better? I have some of the elders here. I, I just, how can I lead better? I want to ask them. I want to know. And they'll tell me. Our elders are more, they are free and they're sharpening. But we also need to be encouraged. We also need to be encouraged and we also need to go, hey, there are better things to come in salvation because I see how you're living and this is awesome. We need both. And that's what we find in Hebrews chapter five and six. And in this portion of chapter six, he's saying, here's how I know that there are better things to come. And you get to determine if this is you or not. And this is what he does. He lays it out. Here's the first way for us to know for him. This is the first reason he's going, but there are better things to come in salvation. This is good. And this is what he's seeing in others that encourages him. 
first thing is this, and it's kind of a next step for the believer. It's one way to think about it. Or these are ways that you know that you are moving on to maturity. First thing is this. They have a love. They have a love that serves others. They have a love that serves others. This is what it says, verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints, as you still do. So they're serving others. And listen, serving others is something of God, is something of Christ. That's why in Philippians chapter 2, he took the nature of a servant, humbling himself and becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. He served humanity. And so we are also to serve others. He did the very same thing the night before he was crucified, right? We know that he served the people by what? He washed their feet. He washed the feet of the very people who he knew was about to betray him, one of them, another one who was about to deny him three times, and he chose to do that. And you go, wow, this is pretty amazing. So here's the, the author is seeing these people. And he's like, hey, I believe there's better things to come for you in salvation. And one of the reasons why is because you're, you're, you have a love that serves others. And that's not of self because self has served me, but of Christ is to serve you, other people around you. And he's encouraged by this. And you're going to say, these are the three words you're going to see, faith, hope, and love. Now, not in that same order, but we know that you have these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. This is scripture. And so now what we see is that he's going to walk through some of these same things. Loving as Christ loves is huge. Now, we, we mess up that word love all the time. But you obviously, there are some passages that you go to. You can go to these later on if you want to. Um, the love chapter is 1 Corinthians 13. But if you really want to know what it is to love other people, I would encourage you to go to um, Romans chapter 12, verse 9 and following. I love this passage. This is about having love. I'll just go to it right now. We will get out when we get out. Amen? This is uh, Romans 12, 9 and following. It marks of a true Christian. And it talks about love. It says this. It says, let love be genuine. That means not serve, serving selfish ambition is another way of saying that, right? Sometimes you want to serve other people so you can get something from it. Inside, you're really going, if I do this for them, maybe I'll, right? I had one of my kids recently, they're like, I'm like, man, that's, that's so cool that you're doing that. Thank you. And he just goes, I just said he. He just goes, Christmas is coming. Well, kind of let me know the whole genuine thing kind of went, I mean, I was like, dude, I so appreciate your honesty, but <laughs> right. Let love be genuine. Abhor, it says abhor. Another language, a word in Greek would be detest. Abhor, detest what is evil. So I, this passage, Romans 12, 9 through 20, really shows a reflection of Hebrews 5 and 6 about not even, they didn't even know, remember, the difference between good and evil. And they had even replaced good with evil. And now he's saying, hey, abhor what is evil. You better acknowledge what it is, recognize what it is. You need to love you need to have a love that serves other people. He says, I want you to love one another with brotherly affection. I want you to outdo one another in showing honor. I keep going, I've gone to this passage several times. I'll continue to go to this passage because I need it. I need it to soak into us. Because again, Hebrews chapter six, if we jump back to that, 
He's, he's saying, hey, there are better things for you because what I'm witnessing is that you have a love that genuinely and sincerely is serving other people. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about love again. In Hebrews 10, 24, it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Well, love and good works is love and serving others. That's what the good works is. They're serving other people. So now later on in Hebrews, he's like, let's figure out how to do more of this how to stir up this love so that it'll move toward good works and serving other people in the name of Christ. It's not just being nice. It's serving others in the name of Christ. It's doing something. And this would be my challenge for you with this first thing today is one, I want to encourage you. I see this happening. I see this church having a love that serves other people in a very real way. But I want to encourage you this week individually to serve someone else in a way that you've never done it before in a radical manner. And then I want you, when they say, why did you do this? Don't say, I just want to be nice. Say, I wanted to, I'm so blown away. I'm trying to give you language. I'm so blown away by what God did in the giving of his son to me and serving me. I can't imagine not trying to serve others. And I just appreciate you. One is serving Christ. One is just trying to be nice. Do it with intentionality. Do it with purpose. Serve others because of the love that you've had demonstrated by God through his son, Jesus. Second thing that we see in verse 11, as we read through this in Hebrews chapter six, he says, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So he's like, hey, this, is, this could be another, another measuring is if you're doing this. If you're having a hope that perseveres, if you're having a hope that endures, if you have a hope that is earnest until the very end, you, don't, you have a hope because worldly hope we know is wishful thinking. Biblical hope is confidence. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It's, it's believing fully in the promises of God that he will do what he has said that he will do until the very end. It's not wishful thinking. There's a difference in the two. And he's saying, man, that type of hope, not wishful thinking, that type of hope later on in the, right? He's also spoken about it as, a, as an anchor. And because that hope is, you can't see it, it's under the water, but it's so big, it's so strong, it's so heavy. Because of that, wow, we'll continue to press on because it's not an emotional thing. We know that God will do what he said. We have a hope that is eternal. We have a hope that doesn't move. We have a hope that can't be budged. We have a hope that will not be altered in any way because it's in the name of Christ. And so it causes you to persevere. I would argue, I'm gonna say it a little different than I said in the first, uh, in the first service. Hope, I think, demands diligence. Hope, because it's not wavering. If you live in the hope of Christ, I think it demands diligence. It demands perseverance. It means you continually make every effort. If you have true hope in Christ, it's, it's as a believer, when hardship comes, instead of stepping away from God, that's what a lot of people do. Oh, it's hard. You start living actually according to self more. But if you have true hope in Christ, when hard comes, you persevere, which means you step into Christ more. You lean, in, you lean in to Jesus more. You lean in more to his word and the promises that he has. 
You don't step away from it. That's what many do. You step into it because it's eternal. And so he's like, hey, there are better things to come for you in salvation. One, because I see you have a love to serve others, but also for some of you, I see this, and maybe you're doing this, evaluate it like this, that you actually now, you have a hope in your life that causes you to persevere, that even though, remember who this is being written to, even though others are asking you to step away from your belief in Jesus Christ, to go back to your rituals, to go back to your your religious routine, you're not doing it. And I see that you're not doing it Well done. But some of you are letting the world speak into your heart and your mind and not the word of God. And so your hope is up and down and it's all over the place. But for those who aren't, he's like, yeah, hoorah, right? So that's what we see. He talks about this hope in other places in the book of Hebrews as well. Chapter 7, verse 19, chapter 10, verse 23, 11, verse 1. Next thing he does, though, is he says, here's the here's last thing he, he calls out in Hebrews 6, verse 12. So that you, hey, I see that some of you, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitate your imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And then it jumps in for when God made a promise to Abraham. So he's, he's even going to refer to that. Remember, this is written to Jewish believers. And so these Jewish people would have known of Abraham. And they're going, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So he starts calling about this faith of Abraham. You say the faith of Abraham for a Jewish believer. They're like, oh, yeah, we got to listen. We know that. Well, he's calling that back to him. I see some of you better things are to come in salvation because you had that type of faith. And it's deep and it's rich and you're demonstrating a faith that inherits God's promises. And he's excited about this. And they're imitating this faith. Again, that's found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 as well. Also Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It's exciting to see. But now he does, he does throw another key word in here that makes... It makes people measure them, right? We got something to measure ourselves by. He mentions that some of you are sluggish or another translation would say slothful. So I didn't want to offend anybody by only saying slothful or sluggish. So I have a picture for you that includes both. Let's look at this. The picture on the left is the sloth. Picture on the right is the slug. Right, And he's like, some of you, this takes us back into chapter five, warnings of apostasy, also Hebrews chapter six at the very beginning, where he's saying that some of you are not stepping out of your elementary doctrine of faith. You're just sitting there, all right? A sloth travels, I think, eight inches every 23 years. Like it's something silly, like literally, it's like really slow. Slug, not much faster. So here we have this, and I'm showing it to you because I want you to ask yourself, are you sluggish? Are you slothful in your approach to your faith? Because what he's saying, Abraham, look at what Abraham, here's God speaks. He's from the land of Ur. All of a sudden God says, I want you to pick up and go. Abraham's like, go where? I didn't, you don't get up and go. I say, get up and go. 
Like if I tell my kids, hey guys, we need to go. And they go, oh, where do we have to go? Um, and they have to know that before they get up and go. There's not a respect there. You can ask as you're getting ready. Hey, can I ask where we're going? But if I say, hey guys, get in the car, we got to go. You better be getting ready as we do it. No different than the Heavenly Father. He says, get up and go. And so I'm telling you this about Abram and then Abraham, right? Changed his name. And I'm going, okay, why? It's because his faith was active. And so he's, he's like, hey, better things are to come because I see some of you, your faith is active. It's not sluggish. It's not slothful. Can we throw that picture up again? Because I think it really resonates with some of these people. I see some physical similarities. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, that's a jo- it is a joke. Like, you got to know me. If you're new here, I apologize. It's just like, I don't take myself serious. Okay, there. Slothful. So many of them, like so many of us, are, we're not really being active in wanting to grow our faith. We live in the elementary doctrines. Well, I believe in this, and I believe in Jesus, the Son of God. So now I'm, we just kind of, we kind of take our time. We mosey along in our faith. And we think that growing our faith is simply by coming on a Sunday morning, and that's it. But if you're active in your faith, thinking that this is all you need for your spiritual growth is like saying, I'm going to get in shape by eating really well and exercising every Sunday until lunch. And then the rest of the week you do anything you want. And then you're frustrated why you're not in better shape. And so we get frustrated. Why am I not growing more? Why am I not experiencing encountering God more? Because we're not active in our faith. We're like a sloth or a slug. We can remove these now. I think it's a little overkill. Um, like, but that's what ends up happening. And we're not being active in our faith. But he's going, no, there are better things to come, especially with those for you that I see that you're demonstrating your faith. And that's inheriting God's promises. And so you're active. You're not sluggish. You're not like a sloth. You're moving forward. You're getting it done. But some of us, we know we're going to step out of this place today. We're going to live the same life we've always lived. And if we thought it was cool enough, maybe we'll come back next week. And if we thought it was really cool, maybe we'll bring a friend. No, how about today we start being active in our faith so that tomorrow, Monday morning, we know a greater God that we know right now. So that by Tuesday, people are like, what just happened to you? If you're growing in your faith, even people who claim Christ will look at you and be like, I don't know if I like this guy. Because it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, for some of them, it will convict them and offend them. Because they've been a slug and now all of a sudden you're like a cheetah. Everybody just channel in your inner cheetah. And I know it's fat, like you're moving, you're going. And they're like, hold up, man. Like that's, what's wrong with the way I've been doing it? Well, you've been like a slug. Like it's been 18 years since you said you claim to know Jesus Christ. Tell me how you're different and you can't tell me. So I'm going to look at you and go, you're a slug. You've known Jesus for 31 years and you haven't told but two people about Jesus and both of them came to church with you already. You're a slug. 
So he's saying, but some of you aren't. So, hey, there's better things to come in the name of Jesus. I see it. That's not all of you. And so we have an opportunity to respond to that, to recognize it. And we see this love and we see this hope. We see this faith that's a very real thing. But I want to mention a couple passages to you very quickly as I conclude. I, I, I want to make sure that you know faith, hope, and love when you actually put, because these are three of the things that you see working together. And he's like, oh, better things are coming for you guys. This is good. And when you put these things together, you are putting so much gas in your engine, man, it's just revving it up. Your spiritual tank, right? When you get all three working together, this is what Romans 5, 1 through 5, you can write that one down. I'm not going to read all that. Romans 5, 1 through 5. But here's another place where you see all three of these coming together. I want to read it. 1 Thessalonians 1, 3. 1 Thessalonians 1, 3. It says, we give thanks to God always for you. Constantly mentioning you. We're always talking about you, mentioning you in our prayers. Don't, don't you want to live that life when other people are like, man, I'm always talking about you and mentioning you in prayers. He's like, we're always remembering, remembering before our God. This is why they're doing it, because of three things. Because of your work of faith. It's very similar, isn't it? Your work of faith, your labor of love. You're loving, you love others by serving them. And because of your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And you start to put those three things together and oh my goodness, wow. And so is that how you're living? Like those, these are the measuring sticks that we have for this portion of scripture. And it's like, hey, some of you, there's, there's be, there are better things to come. But now we have the joy and it is a joy to go, God, am I living like this? Am I loving others by serving them? Am I demonstrating a hope that causes me to persevere through the hard? And I don't, I just want to give up because the world says I can do anything I want at any time and I don't ever have to be responsible for any, any, any wrong I do because really I don't sin, right? That's what it says. But we know that leads to destruction and dismay. Like we, it's proven over and over again. So you get, now you get to evaluate, God, am I living with a faith that inherits God's promises because I trust so deeply in him? Here's another way to kind of think about it. Are you living a vertical life? So final thought that I have for you, okay? Like if, you, if you're, okay, so if you're loving others by serving them and if you're having a hope that perseveres and if you're having a faith that's living in God's promises because it's so deep in you, that, what that means is you're living a vertical life. You have a relationship with God first that then falls down to your horizontal relationships. That's with other people. Vertical is of God, horizontal is of self and of the world. And we're to impact all of this, but we impact all of this by first being true to the vertical relationship that we have with the Almighty. This never lasts. Have you ever noticed that we, some songs that have been sung over the last 40, 50 years, they have a season of they're awesome and then they go away. You're like, why don't we ever sing that anymore? All of those songs are about us. They're all, they're all horizontal. The ones that last, vertical. They're about God. They're about Christ and who he is. 
we're no different. Maybe that's the question. Are you actually, as you leave this place, maybe you need to ask that question. Are you living a vertical life? Ask your friends that as you leave today. Are you living a, am I, do you look at my life and go, man, I, you are just living vertical. And if they say, uh, ask them. And mature leaders invite accountability. Say, how am I living a life that's not vertical? That's not focusing on the greatness of Jesus. And so God, I come before you. I give you thanks for these friends and ask that you encourage them to live a vertical life, to live a life that is serving others out of love, that's persevering because of the hope that they have, that is living by your promises because they have such a deep faith. May they, God, understand if that's what they're doing, that there are better things to come in, in salvation through Jesus. There are better things to come. There are better things to come. There are better things to come. And so let them persevere. Let them endure. God, I'm asking right now that you just speak to every person in this room. I don't know all that they're going through, but I ask that you encourage their heart, no matter what it is. Because I don't care who it is. I know that you love them. I know that you care for them. And that means we get to live life together. It means we, we get to declare the greatness of Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.